morning, buddy. Of course, we are in First John. Did I say James? Not James. <laughs> Just to uh, see if you were listening. You're we third in line, by the way. Just in case. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, as I think I'm still too loud. As we talked about several times, the Book of First John um, has kind of a circular feel to it. Uh, John keeps circling back to topics that uh, he feels are important. And um, we know that he was older when he uh, wrote 1 John. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, there's a certain age that you start to say the same things over again. And uh, I, I think I'm there. And, um, and here he says the same things over within the same, within the same book. And uh, we know that. But we also know that he wrote the Gospel of John after this. And we've talked about several times that uh, some of the things he mentions in 1 John are elaborated on more fully in the Gospel of John. Um, I'm not sure, but I think there will be a few times when we flip over to the Gospel of John today. So if you've got a little bookmark or something, you can kind of stick it in the Gospel of John. And today we'll be picking up in 1 John chapter 5. And um, I didn't really think about it like this, but there are several places that as we go through this, this chapter, and we'll probably finish First John today, um, that kind of summarize some of the things that he's talked about throughout the book. Uh, I did come across one observation by um, uh, Warren Wiersbe, who made the, the observation that in the first couple of chapters of John, uh, we find him focusing on what it means to be in proper fellowship with each other, you know, fellow believers. And he talks about the importance of obedience, uh, of love, and of uh, uh, abiding with the truth. And you can see elements of that in the very first chapter uh, for example, uh, let's see, verse 5. Uh, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So here's this concept of fellowship and it's tied with obedience because that's how we walk. It's tied with knowing the truth. You see that right there. Um, it's we go on to uh, chapter 2, we have the same concept uh, with uh, fellowship and how you walk, and he starts to pull in this concept of love as well. Wiersbe says that in the last two or three chapters of First John, instead of focusing on fellowship, John starts to focus on sonship. What does it mean to be not just properly related to other Christians, but what does it mean to be properly related uh, to God and to his son? And we see that illustrated in uh, chapter 5. Uh, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves a father loves whoever has been born of him. And we saw last week where it talked about um, this idea of begotting and, and so forth. And just as Jesus, in some ways, was, was born of God, uh, we have been born of God. So what does it mean to be uh, a son? And... Uh, 
just like in those first two chapters, there's concepts of obedience, of truth, and of love. Uh, we'll see those same um, uh, concepts throughout, including in uh, the verses that we'll look at today. Picking up with verse 6, which is where we left off last week, I'll jump on in. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. For if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Several times throughout this passage, you see the word testimony, uh, and it's put into this concept of um, the truth. Uh, we, are, um, we all live by faith. Can we agree on that? We all live by faith. Anyone who's ever gone through a drive-thru has lived by faith. <laughs> right? Um, I, was, uh, I, I was eating breakfast with uh, a guy a while back, and we both had our food, and I was enjoying mine and, and going forth, and I noticed he wasn't eating very much of his, and we, we got to the end. I said, was everything okay? He said, yeah. He said, it was just cold. I said, well, you should have said something. I, you know, we could have got you another. He said, I'm not going to say anything. They're going to do something to my food <laughs> if I send it back. He did not, you know, there was a limit to his faith. He was, he was okay with, with taking it the first time, but he wasn't going to take it the second time. Uh, so we, we definitely live by faith, but here we have this this idea of, uh, why do we believe what we believe? And John's building this case that we have the testimony of people. Now, how many of you watched some of the trial that happened down in Walterboro? Just eight of you? Ten of you? A dozen of you? It's okay. I merit watched enough for all of you. Um, there was a lot of testimony there, right? There was a lot of testimony. Was it all believable? No. There were some things that you could, you could believe some things, but you couldn't believe everything because there were contradictions there, right? Here we have testimony. We're kind of working backwards through this passage. Here we have testimony of of three things that are all in agreement. Back to verse six. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree. Now, King James and even New King James has some other stuff after that that most people agree probably shouldn't be there. Okay, um, if you want to know the details of that, let me know. But it was uh, all a guy named Erasmus, and he made a deal to change a few things, and 
there was a translation that was fabricated, and he kept to his bargain, even though he knew it wasn't a good bargain. Anyway, it's an interesting story. These three people are three things that agree. The spirit, the water, and the blood. So what does he mean? I think we can agree of what most people think of as a spirit, but what about the water and the blood? Hold on, we have a question. Karen. Yeah, in fact, in the Bible, um, uh, at least you had to have at least two, some say three, uh, if you want to take somebody to court. Uh, you know, otherwise, it's the classic, what do we say? He said, she said, sort of thing. Um, yes, that, I think that's true, Karen. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. So the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. I think we can agree on that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what's this water and blood thing? Now, there's several different ways you can look at it, and I think this is one of those times when all of the ways are helpful to look at. But specifically, some people think that John was writing to um, speak against a particular false prophet, a heretic that was uh, going on at the time, and it went something like this. Now, we've talked about that there was this concept of Gnosticism, uh, where they believed in this kind of spiritual duality, where uh, the physical body was just the physical body. It, it really had very little connection with the spiritual body. So therefore, the spiritual side of you could claim to be amazing, even though the physical side of you was off doing debauchery. It was very convenient, if you think about it. Um, at most homes, those excuses are not going to work. Um, but in any event kind of a flavor of that, even though full-on Gnosticism hadn't happened yet, we know that John was preaching against those foundational things that were starting to creep in. But there was one specific guy who said that Jesus was a man born to Mary and Joseph in the conventional way, but at the time of his baptism, the Spirit of Christ entered into Jesus of Nazareth and stayed there until the crucifixion, at which point the Spirit of Christ left, and then the body of Jesus was buried, and then at some point at the resurrection, the Spirit of Christ came back down. It sounds kind of convoluted, but that was part of it. So this water and the blood. Most people agree that this is probably referring to the fact that uh, Jesus that Jesus was baptized uh, and made it through all the way the crucifixion. But I think it could go even further than that, and I found a few commentaries that agree with me, and of course those are the ones that are right. <laughs> if you've ever seen a baby born, there's water and there's blood. Jesus was born in the traditional way. Uh, I think it harkens all the way back to that. Uh, we know in John is the one where we get the detail at the cross where at the very end they say, and they, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. This is John 19. 
and at once there came out blood and water. So from his very birth and from his very death, if you could think about it like this, to use another analogy, uh, I watch YouTube videos of people that are like hiking and backpacking and everything. And um, there's this one guy I watch. If you want to just watch something really peaceful, there's this Canadian guy who just canoes all around Canada and um, looks at stars and stuff like that. It's very peaceful. <laughs> um, but he puts riddles in his videos. And a couple of them, it's been where something has been personified, uh, the ocean or the rain or the snow or whatever. I think about this passage almost like that, that water personified is there to testify. I was there when he was born. I was there when he was baptized. I was there when he died. That's the water testifying. Or the blood. I was there when he was born. I was there at communion when he said, this is my blood. I was there at the crucifixion. So we have the blood giving that testimony. And then, of course, the spirit, who is the truth, and who also testifies, right? Spirit testifies about Jesus. Um, Turn over briefly, if you want, to Romans chapter 8, which mostly talks about life in the Spirit. In verse 12, it's talking about... um, We don't live according to the flesh, we live with the Spirit. And go on to verse 15, it says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And verse 16, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Dad's referred to this uh, sometimes when you... You meet someone and, and, and they purport to be a believer and, and you have a connection with them because the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit in them uh, creates this connection. The Spirit is bearing witness. The Spirit is testimony, uh, testifying, so to speak, as to the authenticity uh, that they are also God's children. So here we have... John really wanting us to know who Jesus is, really wanting us to know that we can believe what God says about it. Uh, So if we're going to have the faith, it's kind of funny, right? I've said this, and I'm not the only one who's ever said this, but if you really get into all that you have to believe in order to think that evolution is how we got here, I literally don't have the faith for that. It requires way more faith, way more faith to believe that than to believe that God created things as he saw fit. Here we have John saying, John saying um, if you're going to believe men over God, then you're making God out to be a liar. You know, if I'm willing to have faith of you know, almost any man, 
then why wouldn't I have faith in God? It, it just makes a lot of logic when you look at it that way. Let's move on. Verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is one of those purpose statements, and we, we've seen a couple of purpose statements in John. You know, he circled back, and he, he's had several intentions. But it does call to mind that purpose statement we saw in the Gospel of John. You probably know it, but I'm going to read it. John 20, 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's consistent, right? What does 1 John 5, 13 say? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't remember how old I was. I was, I was probably in high school, and I don't know what God was dealing with me, but somehow I had this thought that I was really wondering if I was saved or not, and it was really bugging me. I remember waking Dad up in the middle of the night and said, Dad, I don't, I don't think I'm saved. He, he didn't even open an eye. He says, go read 1 John 5, 13, and rolled over, and that was it. That was it. That's how worried he was. Um, that, <laughs> I was just standing there. Okay. That was it. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So this is, um, he's, it looks like he's talking about prayer. And there is something about prayer in this. And he's going to talk more about prayer in a moment. But he's mostly talking about our connection with God and the confidence that we can have in the relationship toward him. Uh, back to verse 14. This is a confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything to, according to his will, he hears us. So this is, functionally, this is how we work, right? We know that when we pray, part of the responsibility uh, or the requirement, I guess you could say, when we bring things to God to request things from him, which we're told to do, right? We're told to bring our request to him. Matthew talks about this. Uh, God's a good daddy. We're supposed to ask for things. Um, but he said we're supposed to ask in accordance with his will. So that means we need to be in the Bible. We need to have a feel for what the will of God is and what's within the will of God, what's without the will of God. And it says we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. And we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So when we ask thy will be done, by definition, God's going to do his will. So we, can, we know that that's going to happen. Now, it may not be in the way that we expect, or it may not be in the timing that we're looking for, but we can have the confidence that he heard us if we are asking in accordance with his will. Now, here are a couple of verses I was hoping that Dad would have to cover. But... Because it's, it's kind of awkward if you read it a certain way. Verse 16... If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will leave him, give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that we should pray for that. 
All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Anybody want to take a stab at those verses? Uh, Okay, so lots of people have tossed out some ideas. Some people say, well, you know, in the the Old Testament, there were some sins that were uh, sins you could, like capital punishments, things and and versus those that did not involve capital punishment uh, maybe it was talking about that um, Catholicism divides up those sins into um, the venial sins and what's the other category I forget um, those are the 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 lesser ones um, what is this what does this really mean the the consensus, as I understand it, is that that these sins that don't lead unto death is simply recognizing, just as John has recognized from the very first chapter, that even though we are his children, even though we uh, have accepted Christ and so forth, we are still going to sin sometimes. Because we are in Christ those sins will not lead to our ultimate spiritual death, right? Remember the verse that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Although that is sometimes used as part of a witnessing set of verses, that verse was written to Christians, right? So he knows sometimes we're going to sin, but that is not a sin that leads unto death. Conversely, the general consensus seemed to be that these sins that do lead to death were basically people who had already decided that they did not believe. We've talked a lot in John uh, that underlying some of his concepts has to do with whether you believe in the atonement or not, whether you believe that Jesus really came, that he really died, that his blood really covered your sins, and that was the atoning sacrifice, and you were depending on that and only that for your salvation, right? that's your belief in the full atonement, that if you reject that, then that is a sin that would lead to death because you have basically told God, whatever your son did, it was not for me. Right? And so that's, that's what they, they say, well, yeah, there is a sin that should lead to death. Now, this part where it says don't pray for that, I, I'm not sure what to think about that. Now, we saw in Jeremiah, a couple, we just did Jeremiah, right? And we saw there were a couple places where God told Jeremiah, don't pray for them. Which, you know, we didn't quite know what to do with it then either. Um, He said, let's see. Uh, He's going through, you know, all this badness that's going on. And then verse 11 of chapter 14, he says, the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of these people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. In other words, don't even bother. Don't even don't even bother praying for them. And this was that wasn't the first time he said it. He had said it two other times. Um, I don't know if I'll find this one. Oh yeah, Uh, here's Jeremiah seven, verse sixteen. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or a prayer for them. Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Pointless, I think, is is the idea. If they're going to reject my son, it's pointless. Now, we're also told in 
the Bible to pray for our enemies. I don't think you can go wrong praying for somebody's salvation. Uh, I just, I don't. But I think um, somehow God's saying, you know, if that's really where they're going, don't feel guilty about not praying for them. I, I don't know. That's, that's all I got. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This sounds familiar, right? We've seen this before, um, that, um, uh, let's see, so many places, actually. Um, chapter 3 of 1 John. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of, practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Uh, this concept of what does it mean if you keep on sinning, uh, I think it's an indicator of your status before God. It's not that your sinning changes your status before God. Verse 19, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, is this a depressing statement or an encouraging statement? Yes. <laughs> we know that we are from God. Hallelujah. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's true, but just for now, right? You can flip over. In my Bible, it's one page. I should have made myself a note here. Where is it? You know the word I'm looking for. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's in there. It's in there somewhere. It's either chapter 3 or chapter 4. Here we go. Yeah. Four, four. There we go. Thank you from the back. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And who was in there? Um, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Um, Ephesians talks about this, right? Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians, you know, that uh, right now that the prince of the power of the air is calling some shots. Um, but it's not always going to be that way. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we, we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is one of those evidences where, as he talks, as Wearsby noted, as he talks about sonship, and through here we've had elements of uh, our connection um, via obedience, how we, you know, what we're doing, uh, what we believe, this testimony thing, uh, what's true. Um, as has often been the case where we talk about how we're made, we talk about our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our mind, you know, what do we claim to be true? Our will, what, what do we obey? And then, you know, where is our, where is our love? Where is our emotional attachment? And, and you can see that throughout this. And then verse 21 
as he brings this book to somewhat of an abrupt close, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I think you could hear in this not just some figurine that you're bowing down to. I think he means it more broadly than that. Anything that would detract you from worshiping the Christ as has been revealed. Um, John has reminded them over and over that I knew this man. I saw what he did. I was there when all these things happened. Uh, he is true. You can believe it. And anything that you believe that takes Jesus away from the place that he deserves, that's an idol, right? That's an idol. Some people say that because John just stops so abruptly and because there's none of this, you know, often in Paul, and we'll see also in, in 1 John 2 and 3, there's some closing remarks. Hey, I can't wait to see you. Hey, it was good to see you. You know, those sort of uh, closing remarks. And we don't have that here in 1 John. And some people say, well, this was probably designed to circulate. It wasn't written to anyone in particular. Some people say it was, think of it as a pamphlet, as something that was designed to be passed around. Uh, of course, paper was, I don't know, probably barely existent. Um, but there were, it was designed to be shared, right? It was Everything that we read in black and white, the vast majority of people would have just heard it read. Right? And it was designed to be passed around kind of as a pamphlet. And so if this was a pamphlet, you might say it might be the cliff notes for the Gospel of John. Uh, you could read this, and, and, and then when the Gospel of John came out, if you could imagine those people hearing it uh, who had also heard this Gospel, they would have known, yep, that sounds like John. He just keeps talking about the same stuff. You know, I think I've heard this already. And, and part of that was a point, you know, and, and you could go, it's in John chapter two that we get the best picture of the baptism of Jesus there in the water. It's in John three where we have this big discussion with Jesus and Nicodemus talking about you have to be born of the water and the spirit. And here, you know, here we are in first John. He's talking about the water and the spirit again. So uh, these same things keep coming up. If you didn't know any better, you would think he actually believed this stuff. And I think that's, that's the point. He does believe these things. All right, that's going to wrap up First John. Any questions, comments? What do you think? All right, so that's going to pick up next week. Thank you uh, to everyone. And... Um, yeah, we're all just uh, trying to uh, move forward together. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, that we have uh, this book. We thank you that you've used it to uh, reintroduce us to Jesus and to how we can be uh, connected to him through sonship and how we can be connected to each other through fellowship and how we can uh, fully engage our mind, our will, and our emotions as we uh, seek to... <coughs> Uh, be fully abiding in you through Jesus. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.